0: Welcome to the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada, a podcast about ex-cadet women mentoring and building community together. I'm your host, Amanda Calhouse, a graduate of the Royal Military College of Canada, class of 1994 in electrical engineering. So tonight I'd like to welcome Eva Martinez to the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada podcast. Welcome, Eva. Thank you. It's
1: great to be here.
0: Awesome to have you. So I'm, uh, I'm really excited to, uh, to start our conversation. Uh, I want to start by, uh, you know, introducing our listeners to you. Um, maybe if you could just tell us um, sort of when you attended RMC uh, and, uh, and what you've been doing, you know, at a high level. Since, we'll get into more details later, but, you know, made, major uh, career things you've done since then.
1: Sure. Uh, So I uh, entered RMC in 1989 and I graduated class of 1993. Uh, The program at the time was uh, engineering management. It's not currently offered, which is unfortunate because it's one of those degrees that I think really sets you up nicely as an engineer and leader in business. Um, so I spent, uh, I spent 13 years in the Air Force, and uh, since uh, 2002, I've been in the private sector. So I've worked in a number of different in, um, industries, I guess, two different industries, primarily uh, marine uh, propulsion and uh, power plants, as well as uh, aerospace and aviation.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned about the, the engineering management program. I was talking to somebody um, last week who also mentioned about what a great program that was and the combination. And it was the first time I'd heard that they weren't offering it anymore. So it'll be interesting to see if I can, over course of time, figure out when that happened. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about you know at going to RMC and what, what took you there in the first place? What, what, what was it that attracted you to RMC in 1989?
1: Uh, well I, well, I think, um, in large part it was, I was determined to do everything my parents were not encouraging me to do. <laughs> I was that kind of kid. Me too. I, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I was, uh, I, growing up, I wanted to spend as much time out of the house as possible. So I was that kid that, I mean, I always did extremely well in school, but I also did every extracurricular activity imaginable. I had like three part-time jobs. I joined the air cadets, uh, when I was 14 and all really to just spend time out of the house. Um, and that, that was, you know, that was the motivation, I fell in love with the cadets. It was through the cadets that I found out about RMC. And I mean, the reality of my family's situation was that I was, we weren't gonna have the money to send me to university, and that was never really on the, on the uh, landscape for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the ROTP program through RMC just seemed like a perfect, uh, a perfect avenue to take. Um, my you know, engineering uh, education would be paid for, I'd have a job afterwards. Uh, no uh, financial obligation on the part of my parents. So so it just seemed like the right thing to do. I, I really enjoyed the cadets. I loved the, the military aspect of it and the leadership elements. And uh, and, and I had a cousin who was encouraging me uh, to, to go. So I felt like I had someone to at least be proud of me because my parents, uh, they were not at all keen
0: on me going. Oh, wow. And was that... <clears throat> was that more from a place of just not, not knowing what it would entail or, you know, the idea of potentially going to war and things like that? I'm just, yeah. I mean,
1: I think that, I think there were certainly uh, uh, undertones of that. Um, My parents were, uh, we were, we immigrated to Canada from uh, Spain. So uh, just, Mm. they came from a different, uh, a different culture, a different mindset, um, still, you know, quite conservative and traditionalists in terms of, you know, the role of women and, uh, and, you know, where we're to end up in life. Um, so I think I was kind of defying all of that. Um, you know, it was well outside their comfort zone. Um, their understanding of the military was, you know, through uh, mandatory service back in Spain. So, right. um, so they had some preconceived notions about what all of that would entail. And uh, I, I just don't think that it ever occurred to them that it would be the sort of thing that they they would see their daughter end up doing.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It can be, uh, I, I've, uh, I found, uh, you know, a few of the women we've talked to have, you know, sort of been looking to do something different. (laughs) And so it's an interesting, uh, you know, it, it certainly, uh, it resonated with me too, right. The, um, some, some similar ideas. Um, so, while you were at the college, you know, you, you go in with this notion of, you know, what you've learned at cadets and being a cadet, um, was there, were there things you learned about yourself while you were there that, um, maybe were unexpected or, um, you know, it, it is also the time that you're growing into an adult, right? So, absolutely, um, are there, are there some looking back, are there some things you learned about yourself?
1: Uh, well, I, I guess the number one thing was uh, don't tell people that you were in the cadets. <laughs> 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 kind of makes you an easy target. Um, and I mean, as as women, I mean, we stand out enough as it is. We don't need yes. any more uh, any more ammunition. Um, I I think though, I mean, you know, joking aside, um, you know, I think I learned that you know your body and your mind can be pushed to do things that you didn't realize you could do. Um, and and just you know the the just tapping into the kinds of things that motivate you um, the different styles of leadership that you get exposed to whether it's uh, through um, other cadets or through uh, the academic wing or the military wing like you're exposed to a lot of different things and I think just being a just being cognizant of how you're motivated um, to be pushed um, is is really quite uh, quite a lesson um, I think the other thing I learned about myself while at Mill hall was, uh, I have a propensity to, uh, carry the load for others, um, mm. and, and in, in many aspects, but I've all, I also learned that, you know, it's a double-edged sword because more often than not, uh, people will take advantage of that. You know, you give, uh, you give people a, an inch and they'll take a mile from you when they can. So. Right. Um, it really did teach me uh, about setting boundaries, about knowing, um, you know, b- being um, cognizant of when you were being, um, you know, sort of taken advantage of f- for the wrong reasons and, uh, and being able to uh, kind of stand, uh, stand firm in, in what, you've, you know, what you believe in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Right. I think, um, you know, learning, learning to set boundaries, I think, I mean, sometimes some people still struggle with that, right. As, as, as adults and, um, you know, mature women. Um, and so I think, you know, being able to learn that early on is, is probably more of a blessing than it felt like at the time.
1: (laughs) Well, and you learn, you learn it early on, but then sort of as your life goes through its different phases and stages, um, you kind of sometimes lose touch with that. And, mm. uh, you know, that, that's, that's another thing is just, you know, being able to revisit that every now and again and, and just remember the kind of, uh, you know, sort of the vim and vigor that we had at that age, right? And tapping <laughs> yes. into that again, that confidence and, and that, um, you know, that fearlessness, I guess it was, but it just, it's just being fierce. Like sometimes I think as we get older, we kind of lose touch with that. So it is nice yeah. to uh, revisit those, uh, you know, that time and, and that stage of our lives and uh, try and learn from it nowadays.
0: That, that's, a, that's a good point. It is, uh, I, I think, as you go through the different, different, as we go through different stages of life, it, it can be good to look back at those things. Um, so what about your, so you said you spent 13 years in the military. So what sort of things did you do after your graduation?
1: Well, I, as an Airy officer, when uh, I graduated uh, Mill Hall, there was an overabundance of uh, Aries, so um, mm-hmm. I ended up uh, kind of doing things a little bit backwards. And my first posting was to the Staff College in Toronto. So, oh wow, yeah, <laughs> as, as on staff, uh, I was in charge on of, staff. Uh, I was wow. in the uh, the war gaming and exercise cell. So, um, you know, I was uh, basically setting up all of the, uh, um, the exercises and the, the war gaming, the, the computer wargaming that uh, the students were having to undertake. So um, as, a, as a second lieutenant, that's a pretty unusual environment to be in, to be surrounded with uh, potentially, you know, the, the, the creme de la creme of the Canadian Armed Forces. So again, yeah. another amazing opportunity to uh, be exposed to uh, many different types of, of individuals, uh, all three elements. Um, good leadership, bad leadership. Um, I, I didn't have any uh, aircraft to walk around, but yeah. I, I had a, I had a boss who insisted that I could walk around the static on the uh, campus. <laughs> 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 it wasn't really all that funny, but uh, no. it was, uh, it, it was I've been very, there. <laughs> yeah, it was a very interesting, uh, very interesting uh, opportunity. Um, you know, I was able to participate as, a, as the as sort of the baby admin officer on the on the FSCs on the field service exercises that they used to do. So, okay. um, really fabulous opportunity to get to see the world through the lens of uh, of a military officer. Um, so I, I was there for uh, for two years when I finished the uh, Airy course in Borden, uh, and after that I was posted to uh, Greenwood.
0: Oh okay. Oh yes, I I vaguely recall us running into each other in That's Greenwood. Right. That's right. <laughs> uh And at Greenwood, you were at the at um, the Fourth- air maintenance
1: squadron. No, I was at four thirteen squadron at the uh, oh, search and search and rescue squadron. So uh, yeah, I, I uh, managed to stay away from the uh, um, the the airy jungle that is uh, fourteen yeah. AMS um, and working in a squadron uh, one with a very very specialized um, operational mandate uh, was a a fabulous,
0: uh, fabulous opportunity. And was that, uh, was it at that point that you were getting out of the forces or did you continue uh, after that? No, we moved, uh, we moved back to Toronto. I took a posting to what was DCIEM
1: at the time. Um, uh, What do they call it now? Uh, um, Slips in my mind. DRDC. Yeah, uh, they call it DRDC oh, okay. now. Uh, so I was there. Uh, I went there to run the uh, aircrew life support equipment unit, um, and uh, stayed there for for two years. And it was at that time that I decided I would take my release.
0: Okay, and that that decision to take your release was it sort of a, I'm ready for a civilian career, or was it, I'm done with the military? I'm sort of curious about that for the, different uh, people.
1: The impetus was um, trying to mitigate the challenges of co-locating a service couple. Um, okay. My husband and I, both being in the military, it was going to become increasingly difficult to, uh, to get posted to the same base. I had just been promoted to major as well, so um, you know, as as you go up in rank, the, your postings tend to be shorter, and we knew we were likely to fall out of sync. So, um, so the decision—I mean, I hadn't signed a contract extension at that time, so it was—it it just made the most sense that I would um, that I would take my release. Um, I, you know, I felt that as a as an area officer, I was very marketable. Uh, I was trilingual. You know, I had an engineer. I had all of this leadership experience. Um, And I absolutely loved my time in the military and, you know, I will admit there are days that I regret that I left. Um, I know I upset a lot of senior officers who were rallying for me, Uh, you know, maybe they saw me as the future leadership of the trade. Um, And many of them were quite upset to see me make that decision. but uh, yeah, that, that was it. <laughs> no looking and so
0: back. <laughs> when, and so, so tell us, tell us a, a little bit more about that and, you know, sort of, that was, you said 2002. So what, what then was the job market like for you on the outside?
1: Well, I didn't think I'd have any trouble at all. Um, but, uh, then September 11 attacks, uh, happened and, uh, aerospace and aviation were entirely dead in the water. So, um, uh, you know, all those job prospects that I thought I would have, uh, I mean, that just nothing materialized. And, um, you know, I I started to, you know, take a look at how I was going to do this. I had a network that was rich with uh, military uh, individuals, uh, and most of them were actually, uh, you know, outside of uh, outside of the uh, Toronto area. I mean, in Toronto, there's not a very big military presence, so um, you know, it, it's very difficult to really have a, a network of um, you know ex-military people and find them in the Toronto area. So, I I definitely struggled with um, you know how was I gonna how was I gonna get um, known, recognized in the private sector. Um, given the career that I was leaving in the military when nobody knew who I was. So I kind of had to get a little resourceful um, and I tapped into um, some you know, different um, organizations in the Toronto area that were focused on uh, networking and um, you know, just my focus was on how do I translate my military resume into something that can be understood in the private sector. Um, so, uh, a, a lot of work went into that while mm-hmm. aerospace and, uh, and aviation recovered. Um, and I ended up taking a job in, uh, in marine propulsion and, uh, power plant installations, which, you know, in retrospect was a fantastic opportunity as well, because I was able to leverage my engineering, uh, foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the clients that I was working with were in Latin America. So my Spanish played a big part in that as well. Um, and it was uh, it was you know geographically very close to home, so I um, you know it was a great place to mark time until uh, aerospace and aviation uh, recovered again.
0: You know something interesting that I I didn't realize when when you and I first spoke is uh, I had connections in the aerospace industry in Toronto at that time frame. I had just moved back here, and I was I had left aerospace to to go in a different direction, and so you know, it sort of is maybe a little bit, you know, about the point of all of this, you know, we're really not, you know, we haven't figured out a way yet to set up our, our networking for each other, you know, to leverage these, um, these connections that we might have. So Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I mean,
1: I can't even think if back then, it, you know, was LinkedIn even around? And and if it was, I mean, yeah. I certainly, you know, I certainly didn't have a profile, I'll admit, I'm, you know, I was a latecomer to. Uh, to LinkedIn, um, and and so yeah, it was you know how do you how do you tap into uh, those people that can help you? How do you grow your social capital when you don't even know who's in your own who's in your own network and what people know? Uh, and I I was a bit discouraged because those uh, that had already transitioned from the military into the private sector uh, that I reached out to. Um, I found that there was a real reluctance to help, um, almost like, uh, "Hey, you, I figured this out on my own. You, you're going to have to figure it out on your own too." So mm-hmm. I was disappointed to um, to have that experience, um, but at the same time, it motivated me to sort of find my own way, and uh, and you know, perhaps it was you know, ended up being more successful as a result because I was able to. Uh, uh, you know, build a network that was very diverse, um, not just uh, not just full of uh, you know ex-military or military people.
0: So, so I'm I'm curious about that. So, how did you go about you know building your own network, and and what sort of um, you know and you you raise a good point. Nowadays, people can just go on LinkedIn and and search for you know people who went to the college, for instance. Although I I I'd be curious to see. You know, I would suspect that those that are still serving probably do have a a reasonably limited LinkedIn network and profile. And so this might be an opportunity for them to maybe start thinking about that, you know, a little bit more before before they transition. But um, yeah, what were some of the things that you did? And, you know, um, without that that support from from folks that had um, that you knew from from um, from the military, how how did you navigate that? Uh,
1: one of the organizations that I hooked up with uh, when I was in Toronto and looking for work um, was uh, called um, Happen. Um, I'm sure it's an acronym for something, but it <laughs> it it basically was a a, ne- a network. Uh, you know, you come together uh, weekly, um, and uh, you know they brought in some um, you know some pretty good. Keynote speakers to speak on everything from you know what does your LinkedIn profile need to look like? How about your resume? You know how to handle you know job interviews? Uh, you know all that sort of stuff when you're looking mm-hmm. for work. Um, and because uh, these these were taking place you know weekly, and there was a you know there was that split second thought of you know why would I network with these people? They're all like me. We're all looking for work. Like, <laughs> how are we going to help one another? But I realized very quickly that while that person directly may not be able to help me, they might know someone who can. And, right. and that as soon as I figured that out, it was like it was like the secret sauce. It was like, oh, wow. So maybe I know someone too that can help you know someone else. And so then right. the conversation was around, um, what do you need? How can I help you? How can you help me? Um, and and build a network that way. Uh, you know, if, if you kind of looked at it like, oh my God, we're all just a bunch of unemployed people, and we, you know, we're all you know these sad so- you know sad sorts, and you know, we wouldn't have gotten anywhere. But um, it as soon as you sort of look at it through that lens, it's um, it's pretty powerful. And um, there's a lot of a lot of those people that I um, you know stayed in touch with um, and are you know continue to be part of my network.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Then, there and were, there and- were other. Sorry.
1: I was just going to say, there were were other organizations as well. Um, There was a a company of women um, was the name of the organization, and their focus was on uh, women that were trying to make it as entrepreneurs. Um, I I had no intention of being an entrepreneur, but I also thought it would be interesting to just be in, again, in the company of those kinds of women and and try and sort of tap into their energy and, and how they were approaching things. Um, and through Company of Women, I ended up meeting, um, some phenomenal people, including, uh, Donna Messer, who, um, has since passed, but, um, unbeknownst to me, uh, she was making a tremendous effort to impart on me, um, everything that she knew about networking. Mm-hmm. Um, she was uh, self-declared, uh, queen of networking, um, and, uh, and, and she, the things that she taught me about uh, connecting with people and how to, you know, how to increase your visibility, um, just gems um, and all free of charge. Um, and, uh, and, and so now, you know, I want to make sure that I pass on her learnings, her teachings to others um, and, and help others as well grow their networks.
0: Yeah, and that's what that's what I was going to ask you, because I, I, you know, I know from your LinkedIn <laughs> that you're very active in the women in aerospace um, group. So is that, um, is that focused on networking or is it um, is that just a side piece of, of what what you do as part of that group?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so Women in uh, Aerospace Canada um, got its start probably about 2012, so well after, uh, about 10 mm-hmm. years after I was getting out of the military. Um, and it really just came from, um, you know, women that were working in the aerospace sector who were doing all of the uh, trade shows and the air shows and looking around and seeing, you know, just the sea of suits and uh, not a whole lot of of women. So it was around, it was, the focus was really on uh, raising the visibility of women working in uh, the aerospace sector. Um, And the organization itself um, really aims to uh, promote Women that are working in aerospace, uh, providing them leadership opportunities, professional development workshops, and of course networking, which is a, a really big piece of uh, of you know what you need in your toolbox is is a is a right. good, solid network. Um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of women are. Um, I mean, aerospace continues to be very male-dominated, and uh, in some cases, the the number of women at any one aerospace company uh, are you know very very low numbers. So they don't have that critical mass. They don't have sort right. of the strength of numbers, and so when we put on events um, and we provide this platform for networking, uh, all of a sudden they have exposure and access to other women that are working um, in you know in similar companies, similar fields that they can tap into and um and you know kind of feel like they've got uh, that there's is, there is hope. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to move the needle.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's that's an interesting dynamic too. So you know working in male dominated industries and i i'm sensing from some of the conversations i've been having that that maybe it's as engineers and not just because we were in the military but because maybe more so because we're in we're engineers and working in engineering organizations those of us that are um that there that that tends to still be a more male dominated field in general no matter what the industry have you had female mentorship within your industry? And or is that sort of what you're either getting or providing through this, uh, through the Women in Aerospace uh, program?
1: Well, when I first got into uh, aerospace outside of the military, I, I didn't see any women that were like me or anyone that I could look up to. Um, so that was definitely uh, an eye-opening. And, the, you know, honestly, the first company I went to work for, there were over a, th- over a thousand employees. So mm. pretty remarkable to say that, you, you know, there was no, there were no, uh, you know, women in key visible um, leadership positions. Uh, so yeah. I, um, you know, my exposure um, to those women that I could look up to and begin to look at as mentors um, came from um, other companies, other aerospace companies. Uh, either you know, th- as they were customers of ours, or I would meet them at, uh, at trade shows and conferences, and uh, and that that was that was pretty much how that all got started. Now, um, as I was doing more and more in the Ottawa area, uh, where there is definitely a high concentration of um, aerospace and defense. Right. Uh, then I got to see more women in, um, in in those kinds of roles, in those leadership roles, and uh, that that was really when things really started to open up, and I could see, you know, just how much potential there is out there.
0: Well, that's interesting. So, there you did see a difference based on some of the locations of of where the companies were were serving. Did um, so you you've worked in a few different companies since you got back into aerospace how 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 did you navigate your own career through through different companies i'm curious about that too um
1: so yeah my my first uh aerospace job outside of uh, the military was with uh, at the time goodrich aerospace we were building and designing landing gear and uh, i ended up staying there for uh, 11 years um which is pretty remarkable when, you know, you think, you know, career in the military, every three to four years you're moving around and and sort of starting over kind of thing. So 11 years with the company. And um, I I left because we were, um, for my husband's job, we were moving to Halifax and – uh, there were a couple of other geographical locations on the table, but uh, I didn't feel that the company um, was really doing much to support um, uh, a lateral move or a, you know, a geographical move uh, within the company. Um, so very different from the military, right? Where they would you know, mm-hmm. you could move you around to uh, another base or another unit. So uh, it it certainly felt like there was a bit of a disconnect there and not a whole lot of effort in terms of um, retention. So wow. uh, we parted ways, but you know not in not in any not in a negative aspect. It was more like I you know I needed to sort of take matters into my own hands. And right. uh, we, we moved to, um, to Halifax. And, you know, surprisingly in Atlanta, Canada, there's a pretty large aerospace and defense footprint. It's mm-hmm. made primarily of uh, small, medium businesses. So uh, not quite the same, um, you know, this, the same uh, concentration as uh, you would find in somewhere like Toronto or Ottawa. But nonetheless, quite quite healthy and quite robust. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I worked at Lytton Systems when I left the military in Halifax. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So
1: you know, there are um, you know, some pretty high profile, uh, companies that, you know, high profile, you know, from the point of view of, of Halifax. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, I dabbled in a couple of them and, um, you know, I just really had to, um, I, I, in, in a couple of cases found that there were just some, um, cultural differences. And I don't mean, uh, you know, because it's a different province or because of the people, it's just sort of the business culture. The business culture. The business culture was very, very different from, um, what I, um, what I knew, what I'd experienced in, uh, in, in the Toronto area. Um, and I felt, uh, that, um, every time I, you know, was trying to identify opportunities for improvement or, um, you know, trying to drive even the my most minute of changes, it was met with, um, a lot of resistance Resistance. and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we've always done it this way. And, uh, you know, why would we want to do things any different kind of mentality, and um, that that's, you know, it goes against my grain. I'm, you know, constantly <laughs> looking for <Yes>. continuous improvement <laughs> and, and how we can do things better, especially, you know, the engineering management degree at RMC. I mean, it's based on the industrial engineering degree from the University of Toronto. So industrial engineering is all about finding efficiencies and, efficiencies, and doing yeah. things better and, uh, standardization and repeatability and all of that stuff. And those, those were all words that were completely foreign. <laughs> so, wow. So I did, um, I did move around a little bit and, and, um, you know, that's not generally my style. Uh, I, you know, I, I am tenacious and like, uh, like long tenures, but, uh, in, in the, you know, a couple of instances that simply wasn't uh, meant to be. So,
0: Okay. it is okay. what it is,
1: you know, you, you learn from it. And, and if anything, I mean, you learn a lot about yourself in those kinds of situations.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting to hear that, right? Because, you know, looking at someone's LinkedIn profile, you don't get a sense of why they may have moved and, you know, what's positive and what's negative about about the changes that that people have made throughout their career. So, um, I do appreciate you sharing that with us because you know, it does, does give context to it's not about, you know, cause I think someone could look at, um, at someone else's career path and think, oh, this is the way to get to that, that point in a career, uh, and make some assumptions. And I think it's good to be able to talk through, you know, um, what are, what are, what are things, um, that work and what are things that, um, you know don't work and, and things like that. So, um, in terms of your, um, uh, your, you know, going forward in your career, do you have any goals that you've sort of set for yourself either at a career level or even we're talking life goals too?
1: Yeah. On a, on a career level. Um, I mean, things are, are pretty good right now. I'm, I, I really, I love what I'm doing. Um, I, wouldn't want to. I don't want to see myself doing anything any different. Uh, I'm not hung up on uh, a, a title. Um, you know, d- do I want to be the big boss? You know, it, it, it's just it's one of those things. If it happens, great. But I'm. You know, that's not sort of what I'm aspiring to. I, I think if you know, if I were to sort of describe what you know, what goal I'm working towards um, I, I just, you know, it's about, and maybe this is just a reflection on my age, you know, sort of that midlife thing, right? It's like, no, I want to live a full life, you know, aligned with uh, my values and no, but I mean, it's true. I think it's, it's really important. Um, you know, as, uh, like I said, I, you know, midlife, um, started yeah. to re- sort of reflect on, you know, is this as good as it gets and, and how can I feel like I'm contributing and, uh, that my contributions are being valued. Um, and a lot of that just comes from making sure that you are working, um, you know, true to yourself and, and in everything that you do. Right. So, you know, I, I look at, you know, I was looking at my life, right. I'm looking up. yep. I check all the boxes. I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a successful career woman. But when you still kind of feel unfulfilled, like you you feel like there's still more out there, Um, you know. I think it right now my focus is on just you know making sure that I'm constantly connected and in touch with uh, with my um, my authentic self, um, my values, um, and and not so much focusing on you know what society tells us uh, I need to do next, or you know that uh, you know that career progression and that next title and. I just want to, you know, I want to continue enjoying what I do when you consider how much time we spend, um, at work, uh, yeah. e- enjoy what I'm doing, uh, find uh, purpose in, um, you know, my own, uh, my own work and, and the, the work that the company is doing on the whole and just feeling fulfilled that way.
0: I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, um, I, 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 do wonder if, uh, having a podcast is my midlife crisis, <laughs> and that that need to feel like no there's something else I should be doing (laughs) yep (laughs) so um one uh Something else that I'm I'm uh, interested in understanding uh, and um, asking all of our guests is about advice. And if there's advice that uh, you would offer to those that are, are coming up um, behind us, and whether that would be something you would have advised yourself to do as a younger self, or or just uh, things you've learned along the way that that you would impart on others.
1: Um. Yeah, you know, you you, kind of mentioned it earlier, uh, you know, don't look at someone else's roadmap and uh, and say, hey, yeah, that's that's exactly what I need to do. Like that is the that's the recipe for success, Um, because what worked for one person is not necessarily going to work for someone else. Uh, I, I think it's just really important. and I wish i'd I wish I'd known this earlier in life, I guess. Uh, I mean, it's something that I'm really connecting with now, and that's, you know, don't let uh, you know, don't let yourself get caged into something, into you know what society tells you is the right thing to do or the good thing to do, um especially as women. I think um, you know, we have a hard enough time, um, you know, uh, fitting in, uh, and and sometimes uh, the path of least resistance is to just fit into what uh, society tells you you need to you know you need to do right. So you right. you you stay quiet, you stay small, you uh, you know you don't stand up for the things that you value. Like you, you, the, all of that has to has to go away, and that's that's something that I you know I think uh, as I mentioned earlier, you you feel that way when you're at Mill Call. Like there's a certain spunk about you, and and you can you can be like that. But over time, I think we just end up kind of getting caged and uh, um, not really living our fullest life. So I guess my advice is, you know, don't let someone else's roadmap be the, you know, your secret to, you know, your success. Like, I think you have to kind Mm -hmm. of figure that out for yourself. And I think a lot of it comes from getting to know yourself first, uh, and connecting with your values before you, you know, inadvertently end up uh, kind of selfless. And uh, and, and in a world where you, you know, you don't even, you're not even sure of your identity anymore. You're just, you're just in this hamster wheel, you know, just going through this grind and, uh, and not feeling like, uh, like you're contributing or like your contributions are being valued. That, that's,
0: that, that's a really good point. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm a big reader. I've been reading a lot lately. Um, and uh, one of our earlier guests, uh, recommended, um, the book quiet and I'd be meaning to read that probably since it came out. Um, I, I am a, I am an introvert. I, I know that about myself. I'm curious, um, you know, if you consider yourself to be an introvert or an extrovert and how does that impact your, the networking piece of, you know, life I uh
1: I am I am an extrovert I am not okay that's what I I I thought I didn't want to
0: put words in your mouth
1: (laughs) yeah I am not like off the charts extrovert um Mm -hmm. I I do have uh there is a bit of balance um but I am not an introvert either so um I I uh I love um connecting with people I love connecting people to opportunities I you know sort of that matchmaker kind of um Mm -hmm. uh I, that I, 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 love, and I love feeding off people's energy when, uh, you've done something positive for them. And, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely an extrovert. Uh, I'm familiar with the book quiet though, because, uh, I bought it for Bill who is <laughs> <Right>. an introvert. <laughs> so I know what living with one can be like and, and just, you know, the, the, the different ends of the the spectrum, yeah. Um, but I do also enjoy my quiet time and my recharge time and and my time to reflect uh, journal um, you know read other people's uh, stories um, sometimes I, I mean lately what I've been discovering is that through reading I am finding um, uh, the the words to express um you know sort of what mm. i what I feel on a daily basis that sometimes you're just like, the fog is ever present and you just can't sort of see through it. But sometimes like you just, you read it, it jumps off the page at you and you're like, Oh my goodness. That is exactly, exactly what I'm feeling. and, And it's got the right words and it's just put in such a way that just suddenly you feel empowered just simply by the, you know, the mere fact of recognizing that that is what you're, what you're feeling.
0: Right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. What's something that you've been, you know, do you have any books that, that you recommend um, to others? I, I'm, I've decided I'm going to ask this as a, a, an ongoing thing also so I can in, increase my reading list. <laughs>
1: uh, so there, there, are, uh, there are plenty. I, I could send you a, an email with uh, a, a whole hockey sock full of them. But the most recent one I've just finished reading is uh, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And, um, it is, uh, it, for me, it, it's been life changing. Um, oh, wow. and I don't, I don't often say that about a book, um, but, um, th- there, I swear I've dog-eared every single page in it because there's wow. something on every page that, um, speaks to me, um, either from, you know, sort of where I am presently or where I have been in the past, uh, and certainly where I want to see myself in the future. So it, it's almost become like my Bible. And, oh, wow. um, you know, I've already read it three times, so.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. What's the, I, I have not heard of that one. What's the, the sort of the backstory? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Glennon
1: Doyle, um, was, um, uh, you know, married, uh, with, uh, three kids and, um, you know, very, very active in the church, uh, had, uh, had a blog and, uh, you know, was sort of seen as a community leader. Uh, and she found out her husband had been cheating on her. And sort of, you know, reflects on, um, you know, who she has been, you know, sort of in that marriage. Sort of again, you know, my references to being in cages, uh, right. being tamed. Uh, society tells you that, you need know, to be a good wife, you need to do this. To be a good mother, you need to do this. But in all of that, she basically discovered, um, you know, she she'd surrendered her own identity and wasn't even sure. Um, you know, who she was anymore, what she was, what she was living for. So it it really speaks to her, you know, her reflections. It's very gritty and very, um, uh, very honest, uh, very vulnerable and, and sort of how, you know, how her life came to change um, through meeting uh, Amy Wambach from the U.S. women's soccer team. They're now married. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, you know, there's obviously elements to the story that I don't relate to or connect to necessarily, but, um, it's just that whole sort of, um, life experience and, uh, and her ability to express herself, um, that I just found incredibly powerful. And, um, most of the women that are in my, my tribe, I will call them my tribe, um, whether it's women that I work with or friends or, you know, family Um, there are many of them that have read it as well, and it's had an impact on them too. So I, I just, I finished reading it the first time and I felt like I could take on the world. (laughs) Wow. quite, Quite
0: powerful. That's, that's amazing. Um, what about, um, from a, you know, from a leadership perspective, have you, um, how have you found that, you know, over the course of your career, have you, has your leadership style changed and evolved and, you know, have you done different trainings or or things that have um, sort of influenced that or, or read um, other books and, and things like that that may have influenced that over the years? I'm...
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, so I um, define my leadership style as uh, classic servant leadership um it it's never about uh power for myself it's uh, about uh empowering others and helping others achieve their full potential so that you know they can be the they can be the leaders so um that that has consistently been my approach um and uh I, yeah i i mean i've read some incredible books and always at the top of my list from a leadership perspective is uh Vince Molinaro's um the leadership contract and the reason I uh, stumbled upon that book is there was a, um, a review written about it in the Globe and Mail several years ago. And uh, the, the headline was, why are so many leaders so lame? <laughs> and I was like, I want to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> um, and, and so the book, you know, speaks to... Um, you know, when you take on a leadership role, you really do. It, it is a contract, and you need to understand what the terms and conditions of that contract are. Not like when you go online shopping and you don't read the terms and conditions right. and you just click <laughs> yes, I accept, right? So it really speaks to uh, the importance of understanding what your responsibilities are and and being held accountable for those. Um, so that that book um, was, you know, really really. Um, incredible in terms of, uh, you know, sort of looking around uh, at the, you know, the landscape around me and and understanding how some people got into those leadership roles, Uh, in many cases where they were, you know, completely set up to fail that, uh, you know, the organizationally there was no effort to uh, help them succeed, Um, you know, and you see that in in many companies where people just get promoted, um, you know, to reward their tenure with the company. Um, you know, you, you, you cap out and you, you have to promote people. So there there's, um, you know, it's just interesting to, um, see that, uh, see what's happening out there, um, and, and, and get a bit of context, uh, you know, through the eyes of, a, a leadership, uh, professional, someone who studies it, um, and, and can sort of pinpoint, um, you know, where, where we're falling short.
0: Yeah. And. And through the course of your career, have you seen um, sort of changes in you know even within your industry? Have you seen changes in um, in preferences for leadership styles, or or maybe even just in techniques and, and things like that?
1: Yeah, I think it is changing. Um, I, I think with every every generation, uh, you know, the the expectations are different. Um, people want to see. Uh, you know, flexibility and uh, open-mindedness, and um, y- you know, understanding that yeah, the the focus needs to be on the the objectives of of the business, um, but at the same time, um, you know, treating treating people like adults, um, and mm. um, y- you know, just expecting people to perform, but also valuing their their um, their efforts. Um, you know, I think COVID uh, has been uh, incredible in terms of um, you know seeing seeing people shine and seeing people fail um, right. when it comes to leadership. Um, you know, how, how uh, companies have managed the pandemic, um, how they've managed um, not just the, the organizational needs, but the needs of each employee. Um, those leaders that can appreciate that, uh, you know, every, every employee has a different set of circumstances. Uh, in, you know, in terms of what their, their private life is and trying to achieve a balance that works for everybody, but at the same time, not taking a one-size-fits-all approach to, um, you know, to, to the pandemic. Um, you know, I, I think we've seen um, some very, very interesting um, outputs, um, you know, where, where some companies have uh, just, like I said, they, they're just shining brightly, uh, and others, not so much. So yeah, lots of uh, fantastic leadership examples. Uh, and not, I mean, not just in businesses. I mean, just look at the leadership, look at look at our, you know, the politics of the world. Um, plenty of examples there on uh, good leadership <laughs> and bad leadership. So.
0: <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um so um, before we wrap up today, um, I do want to ask um, about, you know, continuing the conversation uh, after the podcast. So would you be interested and willing to join us? Uh, we are setting up a private Facebook group uh, for ex-cadet women to, um, to really, like I said, continue these conversations and um, provide mentoring and advice and a, a safe space um, for people to connect. Uh, so that'll be at WMN Canada.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, um, this is one thing that a lot of people know about me is I have a hard time saying no. (laughs) (laughs) But especially when it comes to, um, you know, networking with other women, um, I I think there's just so much, uh, so much power uh, in, in, um, you know, growing that critical mass. So yes, my my answer is absolutely yes. I would be delighted to be a part of that, uh, that group
0: awesome and and you know the goal with the group is not for it to be onerous I, I think um the idea is that you know it, it's just a place for us to connect and um and uh um connect and, and have discussions right and um you know raise issues or um or questions really yeah, and, and share
1: experiences um, right
0: exactly mm-hmm. exactly all right well thank you so much for joining us tonight eva it's been great talking to you i had a lot of fun thanks amanda awesome all right so thanks everyone this has been the women's mentoring network of canada podcast you can find us on instagram at wmn canada and wherever you listen to your podcasts thank you for joining us today on the women's mentoring network of canada podcast if you're interested in being a guest on the show please reach out to us at WMNCanada at gmail.com or on Instagram. Special thanks to our podcast editor, Ethan Kowenka.